Hi, welcome back to Knowledgeable and Novice. And I want to uh, actually do something a bit different today and dig in a little bit more about the concept of equity. Um, as I listened to the podcast with Dr. Coloma, who was so incredible and just had so many good things to say, um, I had a few lingering things that I thought maybe I wanted to touch on um, in a little bit of a mini episode. So I just want to define equity talk a little bit about characteristics of white supremacy culture and leave some uh, food for thought at the end. So I will do that now briefly. So educational equity, as you are learning in all of your classes, is defined essentially as this idea that we can create a system of education where all children have equal access to quality instruction and widely available opportunities to learn to their fullest human potential. Will Jordan said that that is the true definition of educational equi equity. He defined that in 2010. So when you break that down, we're thinking about systems, right? The system of education, the institution of education, where all children, and that means all, right? Every single child, whether it is a student with disabilities, a student who comes from another country, every race, every ethnicity, has equal access, and equal access meaning resources, funding, um, you know, personnel to quality instruction and widely available opportunities to learn to their fullest human potential. So with that, if that is the definition of educational equity, then I want to say that simply engaging in trauma-informed practice you know, we just talked about fidgets and regulation and calming areas, like simply doing that does not ameliorate, it does not improve or better existing injustices. Being trauma-informed in the way of just changing your classroom strategies might not necessarily get rid of racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia, or promote educational equity inherently in the way that it was initially designed. And that is largely because, you know, the main proponents of trauma-informed practice, those who started it initially um, in the education sphere, remember we talked about trauma, we talked about trauma-informed practice and how in other settings and other disciplines has been largely informed by um, people of color, indigenous thinkers, thought leaders in, in their world, um, in those, you know, other disciplines, I should say. But in, in schools, in education, it has largely been brought about by white counselors and white school psychologists. Uh, there's are ex exceptions for sure, and it's getting better, definitely. Um, but, I mean, I think that it's important to note that if we don't do the additional work, if we don't really explicitly look to blend equity with trauma-informed practice, then, um, you know, it will become another kind of, you know, without socio-political context. Dina Simmons, who's a phenomenal writer and scholar and thinker and leader in the anti-racist field, you know, says that SEL and other things can become white supremacy with a hug. And I think trauma-informed practices is largely, uh, you know, situated in that as well, like that it can become a problem as well. 
So another thing that I've failed to do owning fully is throughout the course of our class and in these podcasts, I have used the phrase white supremacy culture, um, but I have not explicitly defined it. So I want to do that now. So according to an incredible collective called Showing Up for Racial Justice, white supremacy culture is different from this concept of white supremacy. So when you think about white supremacy, many of us, myself included, would think about like hooded white Ku Klux Klan members who hate other groups and view the white um, culture as the predominant, best, most important thing that needs to be upheld. So that is a thing that exists. That's an entity. But white supremacy culture is something that is deeply rooted in all of us. And until we actively work to name it and dismantle it, it continues to be perpetuated in our institutions. And I love that they use the word culture, white supremacy culture, um, because it really, that is what it is. It is a culture. So showing up for racial justice says that the characteristics of white supremacy culture are very damaging because they are used as norms and standards without being named or even chosen by the group. Like there's not a table full of people sitting around saying, ah, oh, yes, we are going to choose to do it this way. It just is the status quo, essentially. They promote, these, these characteristics promote white supremacy thinking, and they're damaging both to people of color, but also to white people. And organizations that are led by people of color or majority people of color can also demonstrate some of these damaging characteristics of white supremacy culture. So I want to go through them now, and I will link this uh, website in the podcast notes because it is absolutely something that needs to be included in your final project, um, in the work that you're doing. And also just like personally, I revisit this website every single day, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Every single day I read this. So here is the list of characteristics of white supremacy culture. Stay with me. And then what I think I'm going to do is I am going to list the tenets of these characteristics and then have you go in um, and visit this website to look at the antidotes, the ways that we can undo these, the way we can actively work against and push against some of these characteristics. So they're not in any order, but I'm going to read them now. One characteristic of white supremacy culture is perfectionism. So this is little appreciation is expressed among people for the work that they're doing. Um, it's more common to point out the work or how a person is inadequate. It's even more common to talk to others about the inadequacies of a person in their work. Um, mistakes are seen as personal. They reflect badly on the person instead of you know, being seen for what they are as mistakes. Making a mistake is confused with being a mistake. Doing wrong is confused by being wrong. And there's little time, energy, or money put into reflection, lessons learned, improving practice, learning from mistakes. Again, with this perfectionism, the idea that we have to get it right, we have to name what's wrong, identify and name what's right. Uh, or, uh, you know, we have to always identify what's wrong with little tendency to appreciate what's right. Again, these perfectionist ways of showing up and saying we have to be perfect is a characteristic of white supremacy culture. The next is a sense of urgency. Full disclosure, this is one I am actively working on unpacking in myself. This idea that 
there is a constant sense of urgency. And I think for many people, this is internalized in the sense that um, we get an idea and we have to do it right away. So frequently this looks like, um, you know, continued sense of urgency that makes it difficult to take the time to actually pause, take a beat and be inclusive. You know, we, we steamroll ahead. We get an idea. We want to do something. We move forward quickly because we have a fire lit under us that we want to get it done. We want to get it done instead of waiting and looking around and saying, what do we need to actually be inclusive? And what can we do to encourage democracy and thoughtful decision-making, not rational decision-making? How can we think about this in the long term? How can we consider the consequences? Like We don't do that. And in education, it's like, let's just get the next intervention. Let's just roll the next test out. Uh, that is a sense of urgency that is, it's harmful. It's harmful to us. It's harmful to our students. This also, this sense of urgency also means sacrificing, you know, potential allies for really quick or highly visible results, sacrificing interests for communities of color to win victories, um, you know, for white people or like reinforced by funding proposals that promise way too much work for way too much or way too little money. Um, I mean, I think we are very, very um affected by this in education where, you know, we have very little Monday money. And so we work way too much and we don't get paid nearly enough. Um, and that is just kind of the expectation because there's a sense of urgency. We have to educate our kids. We have to do the extra work. We have to go the extra mile. Um, and so it's embedded in our institution and our funding mechanisms and, and it's harmful. The next is a common one uh, that you have likely seen, and I've lived it personally, so um, I can only speak for myself, but that is defensiveness. So white supremacy culture allows the organizational structure to be set up where as much time and energy goes into preventing abuse and protecting power rather than facilitating the best out of each person. It is an either or thinking where criticism is viewed as threatening or rude or inappropriate and defensiveness occurs immediately. People respond to new ideas with defensiveness. People respond to challenges with defensiveness. It's very difficult to raise challenging ideas in these spaces because of the defensiveness that comes. A lot of work and energy in the organization is spent making sure that people's feelings aren't hurt um, and around, you know, working around defensive people rather than telling the truth, naming something for what it is, being open and honest and transparent and not worrying about the defensive mode. And then the defensiveness of the people in power creates an oppressive culture. So when your boss, your district level boss, your superintendent is defensive. Now they are so defensive that they aren't willing to see another perspective, which ends up really being oppressive in, in nature. Another characteristic of white supremacy culture is quantity over quality. I think this really pairs nicely with the sense of urgency, this idea that um, we need lots and lots and lots over one very well thought out, intentional, inclusive idea. So there's really very little um, attached to the process or the progress because we're all about measuring goals. If it can't be measured, it has no value. There is no understanding between, you know, the content versus the, the process. Um, 
you know, their things that are measured are more highly valued. Like if we can measure the number of people, people attending a meeting or the money spent, then that's going to be valued more than quality of relationships, you know, quality of life, perceptions of the staff, etc. So quantity over quality, this idea that we need to measure it. And I'm sure your wheels are already spinning as this relates to testing. Um, worship of the written word is another one where um, this is where if it's not written, if it's not in a memo, it doesn't exist. So um, and this is interesting because if there's strong documentation, if there's things written, those things are going to be more highly valued. And in education, a lot of times this is very relevant when it comes to behavior interventions um, and the IEP process is huge documents and lots and lots of writing and lots of paper. Um, and so this can, again, kind of inherently contribute to this white supremacy culture. Paternalism is the next characteristic. And this is just basically where though there is those with power and those without. So decision-making is clear to those with power and unclear to those who don't have the power. Those with power make the decisions and think they are capable of making decisions for those without power. Those with power don't include or think about those who don't have power. They don't understand the viewpoint. They don't include the experience of those for whom they're making the decisions. I think about our current secretary of education <laughs> and how decisions are being made and how she thinks that she understands and is just going to make the decision without actually understanding, knowing, asking, listening, etc. Um and not really thinking about the impact that the decisions will have on those, you know, who don't have power. I've talked a lot about this next one, this idea that either or thinking is a tenet of white supremacy culture, that things are either or, they're good or bad, they're right or wrong, they're with us or against us, you're either all in or you're not, you're either silent or you're talking too much. Um, and again, this is kind of closely linked to perfectionism. And there's no sense that things can be both, that we can hold two truths at the exact same time. And what this does is it simplifies really complex things. So, um, you know, for example, if we believe that poverty is just a result of lack of education, just, you know, it's either they got an education and they're rich or they didn't get an education and they're poor. And so this really takes away the nuance. It takes away so much of what is included and it creates conflict and it creates a sense of urgency because people feel like you have to do this or that. You have to have one or the other instead of sitting and pausing and considering the alternatives, the other resources, the time that might be needed. And then the last few are power hoarding, fear of open conflict, which ties into the defensiveness, and individualism, where there's way more comfort working alone instead of in a team, um, you know, where there's accountability, but this rugged individualism that we all have to do it on our own and achieve on our own, and I'm the only one, and you don't understand me, and I thought I was doing the right thing. Um, it's hard to delegate. You know, it's the belief that if something's going to get done, I have to do it. Um, I think, you know, in education specifically, it's like, you know, I'm constantly unpacking this where it's like, well, just put me in a room with them and I'll, I promise I'll be able to get it done. But it's like, no, that's individualism. Like that is completely ingrained white supremacy culture in me. 
and as if an organization then values those who can get things done without guidance or supervision or teamwork, then what does that say? Then that just is placing priority of the individual over the collective. And then the last two, three, our progress is bigger, objectivity, that things need to be objective, that emotions are destructive and irrational, um, that we can't show emotion, that we should always be objective. And then the final one is right to comfort, this idea that those with power are allowed to be emotionally and psychologically comfortable. Um, valuing logic over the emotion. And then, you know, if there's unfairness or acts where systemic racism is daily targeting people of color, we can't speak out about that because that's going to make the boss uncomfortable. That's going to make the CEO uncomfortable. That's going to, you know, that's going to hurt the white people's feelings, essentially. And that characteristic really feeds into white supremacy culture. So with that, those are the tenants. And so my question that I'm going to leave you with as you kind of sit with this and hopefully visit this website and revisit and revisit and revisit. Um, I love the website, too, because of the antidotes, the ways that we can unpack this, the ways we can actually do something to work against these uh, characteristics in ourselves to then be able to do it in our institutions. So how does this relate to trauma-informed practice? Well, that's for you to unpack and that's for you to consider. So the showing up for racial justice, white supremacy characteristics, culture characteristics are alive and well in our educational institutions. But how do teachers who are looking to be more trauma-informed embody these characteristics? Could it show up in savior mentalities? Is it in the way that we implement our instruction? Is it the way that we introduce interventions? Is it the way we operate in our classroom with our colleagues, with our students? All of this is food for thought for you to consider and to explore and ultimately come back to this question of what is equity? What is educational equity? And what does it really mean to create a system of education where all children have equal access to quality instruction and widely available opportunities to learn to their fullest human potential. Thank you. Thank you. See you soon.